Thanks for listening to the Voice Church Podcast. We are a new life-giving multi-ethnic church located in Orange County, California. We meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. in Tustin. For more information, check out our social media or our website at www.voice.church. And now, let's tune in to this week's message. All right, go ahead and uh, find your seats. Go ahead and find your seats. Will you guys stop, like, building relationships and, like being nice to each other. I love it. Even the introverts, I'm, I'm an introvert. Even the introverts in the room, it's, it's, it's fun to see you guys like slowly like make friends and stuff. But I can tell when you're done, you're like, oh my gosh, how long is this? Are you trying to find your seat? Okay, we get it. We get it. I'm, I'm, I'm there with you. I'm there with you. So, um, hey, uh, <laughs> just, it's so weird. It, well, a lot of things are weird. But anyways, uh, if you could just hop into my ADD mind just for like a, a few seconds. Uh, Pastor Appreciation Month, I, it's, it's so fun. I, I, I texted our elders like two weeks ago and just said, hey, you know, uh, I'm a little late to the game. It's Pastor Appreciation. We want to appreciate some of the pastors on the team. And, and uh, it, it, it feels weird because I'm like, I'm not asking you to throw me at my own surprise birthday party. Uh, but I'm, for the other pastors on the team, I really want to make sure they're taken care of. And, and they're like, we got it. Essentially, like, get out of the way. We got it. We'll, we'll take care of them. Like, oh, you're already on it. Okay, of course you are. So our, our elders are awesome and they really uh, take care of us. So honestly, uh, appreciate We have like Eric, who's our family pastor. Uh, I mean, we just have so many great people on the team. Kathy's our, our strat ops pastor. It's just, yeah, they're awesome. They're awesome. So just, just thank them. Even if you're like, are you a pastor? Are you a director? Are you? Just, just thank them. Give them a hug. Uh, give them a gas card. I don't know. Okay, so, hey, before we hop into the teaching today, which I'm actually pretty nervous-sighted about, uh, every, every year, uh, which won't make sense in a second, every year we uh, talk about kind of how to approach Halloween. And depending on your church history and how you grew up, uh, there's a few different approaches, a lot of different approaches, how you can approach moments like this, cultural moments. And I just want to reframe for us, uh, for those of you guys that maybe call Voice Church Home and you have for a long time, this will just be a, simply another reminder, like, oh, we know that, Taka. And the more... The more I, we do this thing, uh, the more I realize that maybe our approach is a little different, actually. I didn't think it would be different, but it is a little different than maybe what you've experienced. I actually saw an Instagram ad uh, this week of a church uh, in the area. I'm sure is a great church. I'm like, wow, we have a very different position on Halloween uh, than you. So <clears throat> I just want to reiterate who we are as a voice church family. And clarity is kindness, but sometimes clarity can be divisive. And so moments like this, you may go, that's awesome. It's clear. And this kind of church I want to be a part of. And you may go, nope, that's definitely not. Uh, after this service, I am, you know, finding another church that's more biblical. Anyway, so here's our approach on um, Halloween. I think there's a few different approaches you can have. You can rebuke, you can receive, or you can redeem. You can rebuke, you can receive, or you can redeem. Rebuke is simply what it sounds like. It's isolationist. It's no way. Uh, didn't you know that Halloween is, is Satan's birthday? And so we don't celebrate that. It's not really, but... Um, but we're not going to celebrate that. We're not going to be a part of that. That's worldly. So we're going to have our own event at the church. We're going to isolate from all this big, bad stuff that's happening in the world. You can dress up, but only as a Bible character. Uh, you know what I mean? So uh, you can dress up as a mummy as long as it's Lazarus. You know what I mean? Uh, so, so it's like, that's, that's not, and some of you guys grew up in churches like that, right? And look, here's, we're not judging other churches. We're just saying, here's who we are as a church. So you can rebuke and have your own kind of thing. Obviously, you're not going to call it a Halloween party. You'll call it a... Harvest party or something, uh, or say so you can have a, a, you can receive it, 
In other words, no filters, just let's just receive everything culture is doing, whatever culture, we, we, we do that too. All the movies, all the gore, everything, we just do that too because we're a part of the fabric of our community. So that's receive. Or you can redeem it. Redeem it. This is our approach is redeem the third way. And the big question we ask ourselves in all these cultural moments is how can we glorify God through this? And you see Paul do this. We don't have time. This is like the appetizer before the actual sermon. So I don't want to get on my soapbox here. I could easily talk for 30 minutes on this alone. But Paul did this all the time. Jesus did this all the time. Paul would actually quote pagan poets to preach the gospel. And ironically, those pagan poets are now scripture. It's a fascinating thing. So how can we glorify God through this? This is a one day a year where people are open to meet their neighbors. You know, any other, like tonight, if your neighbors aren't start coming to your house asking for stuff, be like, go to Trader Joe's. Like, what are you doing at my house? If kids just randomly come to your house asking for, just try this tonight. Take your family, go around the neighborhood and just start asking for candy, right? They're gonna call the cops on you, right? Especially if you live in certain neighborhoods, HOA will be at your door tomorrow. So this is a one day where all your neighbors are open to coming together. And this is one of the few times a year where people want to go to some sort of event to celebrate the season. So for us personally, as a family, how, how we've approached this is what would you do if there was one day a year when all your neighbors came to your house? And so what we do is we, it's, it's nothing extravagant. We set up a, 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 it's like a $15 projection screen from Amazon, a cheap projector, and we just play like, Disney Pixar movies, like Halloween movies or like Charlie Brown or whatever. And then we have like a fire pit and, and do s'mores. When we lived in Irvine, there were so many immigrant families that had never done s'mores before. It was fascinating. So they only saw, they were like taking selfies with the s'mores. They'd never done it before. Like they saw it on TV, right? They're so excited to do it. Uh, and then we have like a craft table with like cheap like sticker crafts or coloring stuff. Cause a lot of times the mom and dads want to take a load off and let the kids do this. It's amazing. Last year was the second year we lived in our neighborhood. We live in Santa Ana we're in our neighborhood. We affectionately call the upper ghetto. Uh, and, and so in our neighborhood, second Halloween there, and we had uh, kids come saying, we were looking forward to going to your house because we came last year. And it, we don't throw on like, we're not the house that throws like this big maze or something. We, we're not those guys. It's literally just some crafts, a movie and some like s'mores. It's not complicated, but it's a little, little something. It's a little hope. And it's a chance to go, oh, you, you guys are the ones that live three doors down. Oh, you guys are the ones that park in your lawn. You guys are the ones whose dogs bark all the time. You know, but meeting your neighbors, and then when you see them on walks, it's not as awkward, building relationships. And maybe one day God can use those relationships. That's how we do it personally as a family. I know uh, I've heard a bunch of you guys do different stuff with your neighbors and stuff too. Redeem the holiday, redeem the holiday. Uh, we commit to you as a church. We will never have a, a church event on Halloween here because why would we pull you out from your neighborhoods where God has you as a missionary on the day that all your neighbors come to your house, right? So anyways, that's our approach. As a church family, we do trunk or treat. As we do trunk or treat. And it's a Saturday before the uh, before Halloween, and again, this may be one of the one of the only times some of these people come to enter a church building all year, outside of like a wedding or a funeral, right? This may be the only time, and it may be the only time that uh, some of the barriers are down. If you invite one of your friends to a church thing, they may not be ready to come on a Sunday morning, but they'll come to a church event because it's for their littles, right? So here's what I ask you to do unashamedly. 
And I ask you to volunteer. If you're not volunteering in any way, shape, or some of you guys were even signed up for a trunk last night. If you're not volunteering in any way, just volunteer. It's not like long hours. Just come and just like make cotton candy or pass out candy or something, right? Invite friends. If you see stuff on social media, share it. Invite some friends. You never know what God's going to do through a simple text message. You have no idea how God could use that. Um, and then if you, uh, want to, if you have a Costco membership, just swing through and buy some candy and then drop it off at the church or something so that those who are uh, doing the trunks or whatever uh, have candy to pass out. So we can leave these kids just sugared up back as we send them back to their parents for bedtime. You know, bless them that way. So all that to say, let's see God make a big difference because we choose to invite God into this season. Right, so that's how we approach Halloween. Uh, if this is your last Sunday here at Voice, we would love to have you here. Uh, but anyways, just kidding. Okay, so uh, today uh, we're going to talk about money. I know you woke up this morning. I, I hope Taka talks about money today. This is why I'm nervous excited because I know I'm excited because I think, well, I know this is a biblical approach, uh, but I'm also nervous because I know everyone comes from different uh, backgrounds and baggage uh, with money. So I'm going to be pretty transparent about kind of my journey on this as well. A uh, bunch of different views on money. Uh, here's a few uh, quotes from people you may know. Catherine Whitehorn, she says, the rule is not to talk about money with people who have much more or much less than you. It's kind of true, right? Uh, next one, Mark Twain, you may have heard of him. He says this, the holy passion of friendship is so sweet and steady and loyal and enduring in nature that it will last a whole lifetime if not asked for money. <laughs> so true. Uh, ben Franklin, Kai, Key, that guy. Uh, money never made a man happy, yet nor will it. There is nothing in its nature to produce happiness. The more a man has, the more he wants. Instead of its filling a vacuum, it makes one. That's deep, isn't it? That's deep. And that goes for women too. And I always says men, that goes for women too. Anyways, Groucho Marx says this, money frees you from doing things you dislike. Since I dislike doing nearly everything, money is handy. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Bo Derek, the, the theologian Bo Derek, uh, whoever said money can't buy happiness simply didn't know where to go shopping. <laughs> that sounds like something Bo Derek would say, huh? Uh, Charles Spurgeon, he actually is a theologian, one of my favorite theologians actually, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, says handling money is half the battle of life. It is, it's, it is not so hard to earn money as it is to spend it well. Boy, that's true. Then the last one, Thornton Wilder. says, money is like manure. <laughs> Explain that. It's not worth a thing unless it's spread around encouraging young things to grow. It's good, isn't it? It's good. Get a t-shirt. It says, okay, so what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? That's kind of why we're here today. Today, uh, if you're taking notes, uh, it's called Right on the Money. The, the teacher's is called Right on the Money because we want to get this right. We want to get this right. And at the end of our life, when we look back at a life well lived, we want to get this one right because there's a lot on the line. There's a lot on the line. It, for, for whatever reason, if you look at the, the, you know, if I said God is moving in, in this area of the world, lives are being changed, people are getting baptized, or hey, there's this nonprofit that's doing this great work around the world, I guarantee you there are significant um, waves of generosity to make that happen. You will never see a move of God without significant moves of generosity. And so a lot is on of the line. So as followers of the way, as we're in this series called This is the Way, what is the way? Like, what is the way as it relates to finances? When the Bible was being written, there were no car payments, there were no student loans, there were no ESAs, 529s, and, you know, Roths, and there's there none of that stuff. So it's, it's a lot more complicated today, isn't it? Or is it? Maybe it's not. Maybe it's not. See, some of you, if you're like nerds like me, uh, one of the uh, kidsmen kids today said I was a nerd before church. Uh, it's like, because we're talking about math. And she said, we don't do math on Sunday. I was like, I do math every day. I love math. Uh, she's like, you're a nerd. I was like, I know, I am. Anyways, I'm, I'm working through it. Um, 
But if some of you get nerd, that are nerds like me, because a lot of people, if you're married, uh, one person tends to be the nerd, one third person tends to be like the spender, like the free spirit. Uh, if, if one person is just a free spirit, the other one might just have to become the nerd to kind of keep things in check so you don't uh, become homeless. So, uh, but for me, I, I'm the nerd in the family for sure. I'm not saying now he's a spender, not saying that at all. I think I'm, I'm just the nerd and probably am the spender. So some of you guys like me, you lean into moments like this because you actually... You like stuff like this. And some of you guys tune out in moments like this. You're going, how do I have to go to the bathroom and then keep walking to my car, right? Because you're going, I hated this kind of stuff in church. Can I be honest with you? I'm not teaching this today because I want something from you. I'm really not. And hopefully that becomes more and more clear as this goes on. I want something for you. Let me give you a little backstory. The church I served at for over 20 years uh, would have like this 10 minute to 15 minute, depending on speaking, sometimes 20 minute uh, sermonette, offering sermonette. Right? So between the second and third song. So you're talking, if you invited a friend to come to church and like from the gym or wherever, your quilting club, and then they finally come to church after months and months and months of like, hey, you want to come to church? They finally come to church within 10 minutes, if they show up on time, which they never show up on time. But if they, they, within 10 minutes of coming to church, they're hearing like this, like hard push for offering, right? With this like gold velvety plate being passed by in front of them, Right? That's not the experience that I really wanted. And then when I got to the ranks in the church where I saw where the money was spent, there were tons of things that I'm like, that's actually, really, I didn't know that we, we did that for that family. I didn't know we did this in the community. So many amazing things. But I did see a lot of things that I'm going, God, I don't know if I would spend it there. I don't, gosh, I think that if the congregation knew that money was being spent on that, I think they'd be really disappointed and less than transparent. And then I see stuff on TV, I'm sure you did too, where uh, you see like televangelists and like pastors and stuff have like these planes, like private planes, and then uh, like lavish homes, and, like Lambos. And I remember one time there's one televangelist, she had a, a, a gold toilet at her house. I was like, gold toilet? Why would you even do that? It doesn't even make any sense, right? And so I'm like, that makes me not want to give. And there was actually at the one time where these uh, nonprofits don't have to have full disclosure on their uh, finances. They don't have to reveal their tax documents, um, which I think you should, but that's the whole here or there. Um, and, but, they, but they were being squeezed because they were, had jets and all this kind of stuff. And so there's, there's this big push of, hey, just show us your documents. Legally, they didn't have to. And I kind of thinking, get, me, get off these ministries' backs. But then there's a part of me that said, if you have nothing to hide though, like this is a chance, if, if you're being on the up and up with your finances, this is a chance to actually inspire confidence into your spending. So if you're trying to hide, if, if you're trying to hide something, what are you hiding, right? This is why we probably overcorrected maybe in some ways with, with us as voices. We have brilliant trustees with like John and Brent that watch over our spending and then report it to you. I don't report finances to you. They do, right? Uh, and then we have outside bookkeepers, they're in Texas that manage all of our accounting. Why? So they can keep us accountable. So they can make us, so they can have an objective point of view. Because I can't sign checks. And we've designed that from the beginning when it was like in our living room. Because I, I think power without accountability becomes power abused. And I didn't want to be that, right? So we probably overcorrected. In the first year, we probably never mentioned finances outside of like a random breath at the end of service of like, hey, don't forget to fill out a connection card, get some free coffee in the lobby. And if you want to give, you can give if you want. Because I didn't, I so wanted to honor your invite of a friend 
that I didn't want them to think that church was all about money. That's how I would have come to church. And so we never talked about it. <laughs> we, didn't have any, we didn't have much money because we never talked about it. People were like, oh, I thought you were good because you never talked about it. I, said, I know, that's my fault. So we actually never even took a Sunday morning in the last five years. We've never taken a Sunday morning to talk about a biblical view of finances. You know that? So we've talked about budgeting. We've talked about like creating a plan. But we've never talked about a biblical view of, of tithe and offering until now, right? And I have felt convicted I told the staff this, I told the trustees this, I felt convicted because there's entire chunks of scripture that I have avoided teaching because of my own issues with church finances. And so even though we talk about uh, free will offering, you know, we'll say this again today, Raphael, not put in spot. Every time we gather, we take a free will offering. I agree with the verbiage. We created the verbiage on purpose, but it also kind of feels like, oh, if you want to throw God some change in the offering plate, you know, feel free, you know, free will offering. So it's easy to give God like nothing, but then say God's first in my life, right? So look, I need to apologize. And I don't, I, don't, I don't say that lightly. It's really hard for me to apologize, actually. Ask my wife. But I need to apologize as your pastor because I have not taught significant portions of scripture. We haven't shied away from anything Jesus ever taught, anything, and except for this area. And so we're gonna course correct. Uh, and so why? Because Jesus talked more about finances than he talked about heaven and hell combined. He did. Uh, one out of 10 gospel verses deals with money. 16 out of 38 parables, almost half of the parables deal with finances. Why? Why? Because of this principle. Your heart flows wherever your money goes. Your heart flows wherever your money goes. It was true 2,000 years ago. It's true today. So one time Jesus was teaching. He was teaching on, on prayer and fasting. He talks about this is where he introduces the concept of the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know that. So he was teaching about prayer. And then he ends that teaching section with talking about worry and anxiety. So what he's doing is he's teaching his, his followers, hey, look, this is how you pray. Because what you pray about reveals your heart. So before you just go dive in and start asking God, like the great Santa Claus in the sky, he probably didn't say Santa Claus, but the great genie in the sky, like here's all the stuff we want you to do for us. Hey, our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom, focus on. So he's giving them a framework to how to approach even prayer in your daily life. And then he ends that section again with him. Here's how you approach worry and trust in God and anxiety because what you worry about reveals your heart, right? Doesn't it? What you worry about reveals what, you, what you're anchored in. What you worry about reveals what you, have, what you really have your hope in. You can say your hope is in God, but your hope might actually be in the, in the index fund you're investing in. Right? So he's in the middle of those two things, talking about prayer and talking about worry and anxiety, he talks about money, right in the middle of those two things. Because what he's saying is, this is not some side idea that just like prayer can reveal your heart, what you worry about reveals your heart and how you conduct yourself with your finances that God gives you, that reveals your heart. So he teaches it this way. In Matthew chapter six, verse 19, he says, do not store for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin destroy. Vermin, that's a word like you never use. Uh, moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy. Amen. And where thieves do not break in and steal. For, this is the big verse, to sum it up in conclusion, for where your treasure is, where's your heart gonna be? It can be there too. Wherever your treasure is, wherever your finances are, that's also where your heart is. If you, ever want, if you ever want to wonder where your heart is, 
Look at where you're spending your money. You don't have to get mad at me. This is Jesus's words. Why? Wherever your heart goes or wherever your heart flows, that's where your money goes. Money is unique because it can reveal your heart, but it can also guide your heart. It can reveal your heart, but it also guide your heart. So the first thing is it reveals. Look at where you spend your money. Look at where you spend your money. You'll see what you value. Look at what you don't, where you don't spend your money. You'll see what you kind of don't care about, right? Look at my money, look at where I'm spending, and you'll see that I really like technology, right? Like, I just love it. Like, I'm the guy who stood in line uh, for the release of the Mac OS X operating system CD-ROM. Like, I stood in line for like four hours. Who does that? I stood in line for the first iPhone. Like, I camped. Like, who... What's, and to spend like, well, I think it was like 600 bucks at the time for a phone? Well, that's, that's ridiculous. I love technology, right? I have no problem spending money on technology. I will like eat rice and beans so that I can have technology, right? It's just like Jesus did. So for me, I love technology and I love backpacks. I love all bags just in general. I love backpacks, I love satchels, I love duffel bags, just love my dream one day. If I ever was a billionaire, I would have a room and it would just be bags. Just some of you guys are like, like you're, you're, you're like, I get it talking. Yes. Just like Jesus had in his house. We just always bags, like different bags for every day, you know? Um, so, and I love eating, obviously. Like I love having meals with people like, because I, I believe that life is relationships and relationships are built around meals, right? Say <laughs> Yes. Yes, all the chubby and the people, yeah, say amen. Yeah, so I spend, we put allocate a good chunk of change towards meals. And what you'll also see is where I don't spend money, what I don't care about is fashion, obviously, right? You're not gonna see me wearing like the coolest like Gucci this or that because I don't even know they exist. One of my friends was texting me like, did you ever see these shoes? I'm like, I didn't, those are really expensive. And he's like, actually, I thought they were pretty reasonable. It's like, we <laughs> like different things, right? So, um, so I don't care much about fashion. I'm not really super into concerts because I can just watch the same thing on YouTube, you know, later, right? And so you're like, it's not the same thing. I know it's not, but it's also like $500 cheaper, right? Although the YouTube thing at the Dome in Vegas, I was like, that's pretty cool if it wasn't that much money. So, but, it, but some of you guys are like, worth it. Some of you guys would rather have, like live in a tiny shed of a house so that you can travel because that's what you value. And some of you guys would go, I don't want to travel. I'd rather have my house be the place that, that I vacate. That's my, that's my vacation, coming home to my vacation home, right, every day. So it's all what you value. It's not good or bad. But your money shows what you value, right? And I'm not talking about like your, your overall spending. I'm talking about your discretionary cash. Because if you looked at our, 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 all of our normal spending, you would think that everyone in California is like really into gas and really into housing. <laughs> you know, it's like we love unleaded gasoline, Except for all you EV owners, you're like, you know, yeah, okay, we get it, we get it. So, but what I hope too is that if you look at our family finances, that you would see that we're trying really hard. We always have tried really hard at putting God first in our finances. I remember even when, when Brooklyn was born, we made no money. Uh, and like, like chicken nuggies at, at McDonald's was, that's the technical term, chicken nuggies at McDonald's was like filet mignon, right? Those seasons where like, it was like the government card was paying for formula and like that season. By God's grace, we never stopped tithing. And it's not a pat on our back. Is we were so like, like broke, we didn't want to be outside of God's protection. <laughs> you know, like we needed, we wanted to make sure that we were in obedience to God. We could have a nicer place. We definitely could have nicer cars. I definitely could have more backpacks. Uh, if, 
if we didn't tithe and we didn't give offerings, if we didn't support missionaries and sponsor kids and for sure. And Jesus doesn't say those things are bad. He says those things are fine as long as they're not the first thing, right? They're good things. They're just not first things. Let me give you, tell you a story to kind of, if, uh, if you don't think Nally is a great person, you will after this. Uh, and if you don't think that I need help, uh, I don't need Jesus, you will after this. So um, when, when we first got married, uh, we were on a five-year plan. So my idea of a five-year plan was we'd wait five years and then have kids. Nally's idea of a five-year plan was we'd wait five years and then she'd tell me that we're not gonna have kids. So that was her sneaky uh, demonic plan. So what happened was, I don't know what happened, but Nally got knocked up three months into uh, getting married. Uh, pretty sure Brooklyn's mine, but you know. Uh, so part of the story is Natalie's uh, mom got into a tragic car accident before all that. So she wasn't there mentally to be able to support, right? So all those key moments of like getting engaged, getting married and being pregnant, having put up with a doof of a husband and like all this stuff, mom wasn't there. And so before Brooklyn was born, like a few months before Brooklyn was born, some of my friends, uh, they were all like, we love like camping and outdoorsy stuff and that kind of, they were like, hey, let's go on this epic camping trip to the Boundary Waters, which is like this off the grid between the US and Canada. Like it's the water so clear, you can just take your analogy and drink out of the lake and, and just drink it. It is beautiful. You can't, you gotta like paddle everywhere. You can't have gas motors. It's amazing. Totally off the grid, right? And so they were like, do you wanna go? And here's the dates. I was like, yeah, yeah, of course. Well, so any good husband would say, no, my, our firstborn daughter is being born around there. And my wife, who doesn't have much support, I should be there for her. That was like, softball pitch, like low-hanging fruit, doy, right? No, what I did was, yeah, that sounds great. So a week after Brooklyn was born, a week after Brooklyn was born, I left my newlywed wife with no support and went camping off the grid for like a week and a half, okay? Idiot move. Now, do I realize that? Yes. You know, close your mouths. I see your jaws dropping. <laughs> I get it. I can feel the judgmental. I, I get it. I get it. I'm not happy about it either, okay? In the moment, I had no idea why it was wrong, right? Because <laughs> that was what you would call a narcissist, okay? So, um, so after having a bunch of conversations, I realized how stupid it was, but it took me a while. Was camping wrong? Oh, I sure hope not. Was putting camping before my commitment to my wife and kid wrong? 100%, right? So is buying all this nice stuff or whatever you're into wrong? I sure hope not but is it wrong to put it before God? Yes. That's what we're talking about is priorities, priorities. It's, it's just a pre-decision. So a lot of things competing with putting God first. They aren't bad things. They're just not first things, right? So I'd like to tell you that you can have everything. I've heard this preached, which I don't think is biblical. I've heard people say that you can have everything you want as long as you put God first. The only problem with that is like everyone we see in scripture, right? That putting God first you're not gonna be able to do everything you wanna do with your time, with your finances, with your life, with your relationships, with, you're not, you're not. Because Jesus said, if you wanna be my disciple, you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and then follow me. He didn't say, if you wanna be a disciple, say that I'm first and you do whatever you wanna do. No, 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 follow me, deny yourself. Anyways, it's not, it's not really sexy to preach in, in America. So he says, so I'd like to tell you, you can have everything you want as long as you put God first, but you won't. You won't be able to buy some things. You won't be able to do some things, but you'll be part of much, something much bigger than yourself. 
So here's how you determine if something is appropriate to buy or not, if something is appropriate to do or not. And again, man, if this is your last Sunday here at Voice, really thankful that you, anyways. Um, <laughs> here's the question, here's the question. Uh, can I get this and still be faithful to God? Can I do this and still be faithful to God? So I don't know what that means for you. I'm not asking anybody to get, show me their W-2s. You know what I mean? I don't wanna see your tax return. This is between you and God. And my guess is you've already felt the tension. You've already felt the Holy Spirit saying, come on, it's time to talk about this. It's time to look. I know you've been kind of like, la, 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 but it's time to look at this, right? Can I do this and still be faithful to God? Can I get this and still be faithful to God? Can I buy this and still be faithful to God? And if the answer is yes, go for it. After talking to your spouse and seeing if it's okay, right? If the answer is yes, I can do that and still be faithful to God, go for it and enjoy it, right? If you can't, if getting the thing, buying the thing, doing the thing means that, okay, we can do it, but we have to pull back on tithing first. Or we do this, but then we have to, that commitment we made to that missionary, that commitment we made to the nonprofit in the city, like we have to pull back on, okay, if doing the thing, buying the thing means you have to pull back on being faithful to your commitments, then listen, listen, your, what you do next is about to reveal your heart, Right? What you're about to do, it reveals where your heart is at and what you actually prioritize. And then you got to figure out what to do with that, right? So uh, a friend of mine, a friend of mine, was, uh, he's going to the church and very generous guy, very generous guy. And he's super into cars. I love cars. I love like 90s and early 2000s Japanese cars. I love all cars. I was riding in David's Mercedes the other day. I was like, this, this car's baller. Like it's so modern cars are so much cooler. But anyways, um, there, so we, so we were talking about cars and his, his dream car was actually pretty reasonable. It was like a pretty economical car. Uh, let's just say he's in several tax, bra- tax brackets uh, uh, higher than me, okay, by a, a lot. Uh, so, and he, I'm like, what's your dream car, bro? And so he's like, he tells me, I'm like, why don't you just get it? Like, that's actually not a dream car. That's like a pretty reasonable car. And so, we, so he goes, I, I don't know if I can justify it. So I was like, well, let's go over the numbers. So he opened up his finances to me and we went over the numbers and I'm like, bro, you could do this in your sleep. You could buy this car cash. It wouldn't impact your family at all. It wouldn't impact the, and he was super generous, like missionaries and nonprofits and to the church. And I was like, it wouldn't impact anything that you've committed to. What's the hangup here? He's like, I felt like I just needed spiritual like permission. I was like, consider yourself permissed. Go buy, <laughs> go, go buy it. And I think God wants it in the same way. Like if you take your kid to Disney and they want a churro and they're not being a dork, you give them a churro and you want them to enjoy the churro. In the same way, I'm like, bro, I think God wants you to enjoy this car. I think God wants you to enjoy it. And so I'll never forget the Sunday morning. He came to, came to church and he goes, I got it. He showed me the keys. And again, if I told you the car, it's like super reasonable. And it's like, he's, he's like, but Taka, I got a really good deal on it. It's like, you don't have to tell me like, He's like an immigrant family. Like, you don't have to tell me you got a good deal on it. He's like, if the church ever wants to use it, I'm like, why would we ever want to use that? Like, I might personally want to use it, but he goes, if you ever want to use it, you so, and I was like, man, the joy, the joy. And it was because he did it without having, without having to, to pull back on any faithfulness to God. So the money reveals your heart, but also guide your heart. So guiding, when, when you... When you buy something like a, a certain car, we talk about cars, uh, or you buy a certain stock, or maybe you bought crypto, you know, God bless you. Uh, so 
Sometimes that might be triggering for you, some of you guys right now. Uh, so if you bought, like, say, stocks or crypto and you see it in the news, right, you're, it's like you have radar for it. And you're like, oh, you see it. Why? Because your money is invested into it, so your heart is there, right? It's, or, and you know, those guys that are planning, like, we used to plan, like, retreats all the time. We used to run this big youth camp every year. It's like almost a 1,000 kids would go to it. And we would have people give scholarship money to like scholarship kids. And you know the kids that we would have the most trouble with were the ones that we scholarshiped, right? So we started a new policy after several years of like, you have to like give something. Like if the, if the, if the retreat was like 500 bucks, you have to give like 20 bucks, right? Why? Because they needed to have skin in the game. And you know this, those of you guys that have led any sort of team or any sort of whatever, the ones that get 100% scholarship, the ones that are not, their heart is not in it because they have no skin in the game. And God knows this principle too, obviously. If your heart follows your money, then when you give God, when you give to God first, who's first in your heart? God. God doesn't need your money to pay rent, right? What God wants is your heart. And he creates this beautiful system that started in the Old Testament and continues on to today where when you give God, we put first in your finances, the needs of the house are taken care of. And then those that commit themselves to the work of the church are able to like, you know, buy groceries and stuff, right? But ultimately this isn't about you paying to keep the lights on. This is about your heart and Jesus. You've heard of the word tithe? Tithe, it's an Old Testament word. Uh, it, it seems like this really big spiritual word. It literally just means 10th. That's all it means is 10th. So in the Old Testament, it's talked about many times. We'll just read one passage real quick. It's in 2 Chronicles 31, 4 through 6. But it's literally repeated over and over and over again in the Old Testament. It says this. Uh, this is Hezekiah talking and giving leadership to how we're going to, we, talking to the nation, uh, God's people, about how they handle their finances. He said, in addition, he required the people of, of Jerusalem to bring a portion of their goods to the priests and Levites. That's like the pastoral staff. So they could devote themselves fully to the law of the Lord. Um, so when the people of Israel heard these requirements, they responded generously by bringing the first share of their grain, new wine, olive oil, honey, and all the produce of their fields. They brought a large quantity, a tithe, a tenth of all they produced. Verse six, the people who had moved from, to Judah from Israel and the people of Judah, Judah themselves brought in a tithe of their cattle, sheep, goats, and a tithe of the things that had been dedicated to the Lord their God, and they piled them up in great heaps. It's kind of a weird organization system, but they, essentially what they're saying is, just give God a tenth, give God a tenth. And when you see this, you'll see this idea of first fruits or first share. You guys ever seen that scripture? It's like first fruits or first share. Here's, here's what it means. So in all these situations, you saw them give from their grain or honey or wine or whatever. It's, 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 let's say crops because it makes the most sense. Um, when your, your first harvest is the most crucial harvest because you, you don't eat that, you don't sell that grain, you store that, for next year, because that's the seed for next year, right? And your seed is important. Like seeds are a billions of billions of dollars industry, right? Because seeds are so important. So you're saying, hey, we put our seeds away so that if a frost hits or if a flood or whatever that comes, we can still plant for next year. We'll figure this year out, we'll plant for next year. And what God is saying is, no, 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 give me the first tenth. Give me the first tithe. So when they gave God, their first share, their first fruits, what they're saying is, we're trusting you for the rest because we don't know how this is gonna go. Now, a real practical way to do this, if I was like a, a life coach for these guys, I'd have been like, you know what? The more practical thing to do is, why don't you wait till the end of the year, harvest everything, pay your workers and all your expenses, see what you have left and give a portion of that to God. 
that's practical. It makes sense. That's not God's system. Because again, for God, it wasn't about the money. It was about their heart and their faith and their trust. And how they handle their finances will guide how their heart is prioritized. That's the most important thing. So tithes started in the Old Testament. Great, Taka. We don't live by the Old Testament anymore. That was fulfilled. So what does the New Testament say? First of all, most scholars agree, and you can study this on your own. I can send you papers if you want to read, uh, or you can just use the Google, as my mom says. Uh, most scholars agree that the tithe is still valid today because it's, we, we see the early church practice it and they talk about it like in Hebrews. Jesus said this about giving though. In Luke 6, 38, he says, give and you'll receive. Give and you'll receive. Your, your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, make room for more, running over, poured into your lap. And then he says, the amount you give will determine the, the amount you give back. The proportion, the ratio, the measure, different translations say, that you give, that's what will be used to give back to you. You ever eat like a, like a bag of chips? You buy a bag of chips. I know all you guys eat healthy, but say, just imagine with me. Uh, you got a bag of chips and you open it up. You're going, I just like bought 90% chip air, right? And what happens on the back is it says, contents may have what? Settled during shipping. This is this principle. Is it was full when they packed it, we trust. And then over shipping and ever, it's settled. This is what it's saying. Say, hey, give, and God will give back to you, not like a, you know, finances necessarily, but blessing in your life in a way that is disproportionate, extravagantly, like an order of magnitude, disproportionate to what, the, what you give, pressed down, shaken together, still running over, pouring into your lap. But the amount that you give will, will, be, be, will set the ratio for what is given back. Jesus didn't give a percentage. He, 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 the people that say that Jesus never talked about the 10th, you're right. What Jesus said is he, was, he said to give and give big. That was his ratio. So <laughs> theologian uh, George B. Davis puts it that he, he wrote this critical review on this topic. Uh, if you ever can't sleep one night, I'll send you this white paper. Uh, George B. Davis, he says this in summary. This is like dozens of pages, but this is kind of the in conclusion. He says this, in the New Testament, no less than five distinct characteristics are set, up, set forth regarding Christian giving. Acceptable stewardship should be generous, sacrificial, voluntary, cheerful, and systematic. Okay, generous means like, yeah, you know what generous means. Sis, uh, uh, sacrificial, it's gonna cost you. It will. Anything worth doing, anything is gonna cost you. Imagine if you said, I love my spouse, but it hasn't cost me anything. Are you kidding me? Have you seen an engagement ring, right? Do you know how much it costs to take your kids to Disneyland? So love is sacrificial or it isn't love, right? We don't, we don't watch, we, we love reading the stories about the guy who swam across the ocean and slayed the dragon, risked their life for the, we don't read about like the, the person whose love cost them nothing. And that was true love, right? So generous, sacrificial, voluntary. We're not gonna guilt, trip, manipulate, shame. That's between you and God, man. So voluntary, uh, cheerful, not arm twisting, but cheerful. And I tell you, when you get to a point where you give cheerfully to any place, us, Salvation Army, the person selling candy bars door to door, when you get yourself, you're sharing cheerfully, something shifts in your heart. It's different, it's better. So cheerful and then systematic, systematic. Your respiratory system, circulatory system, nervous system. I'm not thinking in my head, breathe, breathe, breathe. It's automatic. And this is what he's saying is like, it has to be automatic. They didn't ask, man, do I want to give God my first fruits this harvest? It's like, no, you get income, you give God. That's just systematic. That was the hallmarks, the characteristics of New Testament giving. Here's Paul, uh, as we close here, Paul was mentoring this young leader named Timothy. 
And he, Timothy, uh, he, had, he had a tough job, but he, this is how Paul told him to teach his people. He said, tell those who are rich in this world, tell people who are rich in this world. You can put the verse up. He says, tell people who are rich in this world. And you may go, Taka, I'm not rich. People that live in that neighborhood are rich. People that drive those cars are rich. Okay, look at your household income, Google it compared to the world. You're probably a one percenter, okay? We live in Orange County, right? I don't know if you realize that. This is like not the cheapest place to live unless you came from the Bay and you're like, housing is free here. So, (laughs) but you are rich, you are rich. So Paul's talking to you, Uh, he's talking to me. Tell those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money which will soon be gone. But their trust should be in the living God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Hear that? It's not wrong to have nice things. It's not wrong to enjoy it with the right priorities. He wants you to enjoy your life. So enjoyment, tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich, not only in finances, but rich in good works. They should give generously to those in need always being ready to share with others whatever God has given them. By doing this, they will be storing up for them for their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of real life. See, Timothy, they think that real life is found in the accumulation of stuff. They think that real life is found in, in, in having this or that or doing this or that, man, once they start being generous, they'll taste what real life, what real joy is. When you give towards changing someone's life, I've never seen someone go on a missions trip that costs thousands of dollars or give towards an initiative to help those in need and regret it. I just haven't. So he's like, man, take hold of real life. Here's the goal. Here's the goal. Let me talk you, walk you through kind of the four steps. And I don't know where you're at. We want to move from, the first step is, God, here's some of my money. It's the first step. God, here's some of my money, right? I think this is where we all kind of start. Here's a buck. Here's five. My mom used to give me, when we pulled up to the, to the parking lot of the, of the Korean Presbyterian church, my mom would give me $2, right? And she would say, uh, she actually taught me this. Mom, if you're watching, you know this is true. Uh, she would say, uh, it's important that you give to God. And it's important that they see you give. <laughs> so that's so Korean. So she, she, some of you guys that are Korean, you're like, yep, yeah. So uh, she would give me a couple bucks to throw in as because the plates would pass by and it's important that they saw me like a modern day Pharisee give. Uh, so, so I would start with, okay, God, here's some of my money. And then this next step we want to get to is, God, how much of my money do you want? This is a big step. This is like, okay, God, I'm gonna ask you a question. Don't know what you're gonna say. How much of my money do you want? I'm I'm free decided to to follow whatever you do. I'm really hoping you give me a low number, but how how much much of my money do you want, right? It's an openness. The doors creaked a little bit, right? Scary. Do you guys have God said like, uh, like give your car away? Like I know you guys did that. Like give your car away. Okay, not to the church, just somebody else in need. It's like, oh, you sure you want me to do that? Okay, how much money do you want? The, The next step, is, God, how can I be generous? How can I be generous with what you've given me? This is a huge step. Now this is a heart shift. Not how much do my money do you want? It's how can I be generous? I wanna be a generous person. I've already predecided that I'm gonna have to buy less backpacks, but it's okay because I'm gonna be generous. So how can I be generous with you? I'm gonna be extravagant. And then the final, 
like when you're fully leveled up, this is, God, what do you want me to do with your resources? This is, this is like an epiphany. I don't know. It hit me, um, gosh, way too late in my spiritual journey. But it hit me. It's like, this isn't my money. None of this stuff is mine. I started reading, like really reading Jesus' parables about money. And it's, it was always the same. It was this guy that owned everything that would for a season give five talents or 10 mirai or whatever to all these these individuals. And then he'd always come back later and say, what did you do with my money? And he expected them to invest it in things that mattered. So it's the same thing. I had this epiphany. My house isn't mine. My car isn't mine. The money is, none of it is mine. So that's why it's so easy. So many people have borrowed our cars, our house for things. Like we're hosting this big Friendsgiving thing for people I don't know uh, at our house. Why is that so easy? It's not my house. Like the deed says it's my house, it's not my house, it's God's house. People borrow our house, our, our house, our cars all the time. It's not mine. So if they dent it, and they do, well, God's gonna have to figure that out because it's, it's his car, right? So how, what do you want me to do with your, I'm just a manager. You know, we'll, we'll rent out the church to other church plants um, that are like, they, they need help. We don't charge them market rate. We give them like a fourth of market rate. Why? Because it's God's. It's not ours, right? How could, what we do, God, what do you want me to do with your resources? This is the ultimate one. Here's what we believe as a, as, a, as a church. We believe that God owns it all. God owns it all. He expects us to use it wisely, wisely. That means don't start, don't, don't join some weird MLM that your friend, you know, messaged you about, right? That they're going to be wealthy one day, they still live in their parents' basement, but they're going to be wealthy one day and you should join, right? Don't waste God's money. Don't waste God's money on get rich quick schemes, right? Don't live wisely. With the, multiply the resources God gives you so you can use it for things that matter. God owns it all. He expects you to use it wisely so we can live lives of irrational generosity. This is not just about the church. This is about in our lives in general. Our neighbors should see us as generous. Our coworkers should see us as generous. We should be generous people because we're the people of God storing stuff that's not ours. Ultimately, we want to be a church that brings a smile to God's face. Because when we're faithful with God's finances, we can be generous to the needs in our community and around the world. When we're generous to our finances, we can build a staff here at the church where we can take better care of those in the church. To be totally transparent with you, we have so many dreams for the youth group, for kids' ministry, for spiritual development, for Bible studies and small groups, for evangelism. We have so many dreams for evangelism that we simply cannot move on. We just can't because the finances are not there. And we refuse as a church to get into debt or put the church in financial jeopardy because we feel like we wanna do something. And so they're, uh, they're stalled, they're stalled. We wanna care for you and your family. We wanna reach people across Orange County that don't know Jesus. There's a lot of them. We want heaven to be more crowded, but it takes all of us being apart. Some of us, like the friend I was telling you about, God has blessed you in a way to make a significant impact. For whatever reason, God, God says in God's word that there are some people that God has given the ability to create wealth. I don't have that ability, but I have friends that have that ability and they move mountains for nonprofits around the world, right? So maybe God's called you and blessed you in a way you can make a significant impact. But for all of us, I want to challenge you to pray, God, what would you have me do with my finances in a way that's generous, sacrificial, voluntary, 
cheerful. Don't give because you feel guilted. Don't give because you feel manipulated. Cheerful, voluntary, and systematic. A couple questions that bother you as we end. Okay? What does your spending, this is why I think Jesus would ask you today. I'll ask you. What does your spending say about your heart? That's between you and God. What does your spending say about your heart? Okay, second question. What would it look like to truly put God first in your finances? What would it look like? What would need to shift? Maybe you're already there. You're like, no, Taco, we're doing it. Awesome. What would it look like to truly put God first in your finances? And then I challenge you, just do it. Do it. And if God's saying support that missionary friend that you've been putting off, because man, we have to stop doing this or that if we want to support that. Whatever God's asking you to do, do it. You won't, you'll never regret being generous. You'll never regret being generous. So, Last Sunday, so glad you're here. Uh, let's, uh, uh, let's pray. God, we just uh, thank you. You've been so, so, so good to us. We just recognize that. God, would you help us be people that reflect your generosity? Jesus, you gave it all. You call us to do the same. God, I pray that we respond to your generosity with generosity. God, I pray for no guilt, no condemnation, no shame. I feel that no one would leave like they were just scolded. God, if that is where anybody is at, God, I pray that you would strike that from their heart. God, I pray that you would call us into a great adventure with you, that this is a better way. This is a blessed way. This is the way that you say is the way we're supposed to live. We trust you. We commit to spending the rest of our lives as a a worship song to you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's sing this. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's message at Voice Church. We hope it inspired you to live a life more faithfully for Jesus and to be a voice of hope for your community. We'd love for you to join us in person on a Sunday. And until then, we hope you have a beautiful week.